Okay, and let's start. Hello and welcome to the Daily Bible Reading Show, the show where we read four different passages every single day and try to go through the entire Bible in a year. Uh, my name is Calvin. This is live every day, usually around 6 p.m. Today is a bit earlier. It's from my home here in Cambridge, so it's a bit brighter as well, which is always good. I'm a bit more alert. But the reason that I'm doing this earlier also is because I have to prepare for this talk tonight that I haven't yet written out. So I have to do that right after this. So in my mind, I'm going to get this done and then I can kind of like focus all my mind and all my concentration on this talk that I have to prepare on Romans chapter 6. So a really interesting passage about how we are not to sin because we are under grace and not under law. Paul makes the analogy between being slaves to sin and slaves to obedience. And so um, those two choices, like those two job ads saying, you know, which one will you go for and how there's still that pull towards sin, which leads to death. Uh, but really, he wants us to apply this job. Uh, well, the one that we really have, which is to righteousness, which is to God, which leads to eternal life. And it's a gift. It's not a payment. It's not a wage. But it's actually a gift that's given us. And I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't like give the whole talk right now. I haven't actually really written it out yet. But I'm still thinking about it. And that's the thing. It's still tangled up with the four passages I want to just get through for today. So it's such a bad motivation as well. You want to get through it. But no. Um. I really am. I just want to learn from it as well. I want to apply it, and then kind of see how it kind of fits. Maybe there's something in today's readings that kind of fits and will inform and guide uh, my process in preparing for tonight. Night. Uh, but yeah, that's the rationale. That's why I'm starting early. That's why I'm kind of rambly and my scatterbrained even <laughs> in the morning, just trying to get all these pieces together to fit into the day. But it makes it exciting. It, it's really cool that, to have this opportunity to prepare for this Bible study. Essentially, that's what it is to go through the Bible and study, study this passage from Romans chapter 6 together with some other Christians tonight and to do it in such a way that will encourage other people to be able to teach it to others. So it's a Bible study for kind of like Bible study leaders, that kind of thing. So that's happening tonight. It's with some students, some graduate students on Zoom here in Cambridge. But right now, we're going to do what we normally do. We're going to pray and we're going to read the Bible together. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that um, you fill our lives with your word and you fill this world with the goodness of your will. Uh, Lord, please, would you help us understand what this will is to save, uh, to bring many into a knowledge and relationship of you through the Lord Jesus Christ, and for ourselves to see our place in this, how we fit into that purpose of yours, to declare your glory, uh, either through the witness of our lives and living lives for Jesus that is holy and pleasing to him, or even in speaking out and especially in being clear and proclaiming the gospel of salvation to all through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to do this today, especially in the reading of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today's passages for February chapter 10th. February, chapter, February 10th. <laughs> uh, is Genesis chapter 43, Mark 13, Job 9, and Romans chapter 13. Uh, oh, by the way, I just saw I just saw before signing on that uh, Proclamation Trust have already set a date for the next EMA, the Evangelical Ministers Association Assembly. Sorry, that's a gathering of pastors that happens every year. Uh, but they're doing another online event this year. 
uh, in June. So do go for this. This is like a must, a must go for. Not least because it's free, uh, but also because it's so good. It helps you just to see how the Bible comes together, and so it's very appropriately entitled "Word Work." It's work. That involves going into God's Word and seeing how it fits together, especially if your job is, you know, teaching the Bible, being a pastor, preaching on Sundays. This is to help you. It's meant to be an encouragement, how you can see the Bible and read it for yourselves. And that's what they do. They literally show you what they look at in the Bible. They show the connections. They show the illustrations that they get out of this. They show some different options that you might take. But how sometimes you know maybe it's choosing the one that's clearest, that's most faithful to the big idea of the text. So that's happening、uh, this June. It's organized by the Proclamation Trust. This、um, gathering of churches around the UK of evangelical churches, and this is usually the high point that happens every year in summer. It will be free online. It will run from、uh, in the mornings, you know, three hours, nine thirty, twelve thirty every morning for over three days, over two days, sorry. And apparently, you know, just you know, register, you know, just put this in your diaries just to look forward to. So yeah, that's great.、Uh, thank you so much, Proclamation Trust, for organizing this. Really looking forward to this, especially. Um, hearing from Nigel, what's his face again? You know the guy with the bow tie and the three-piece suit. He's so good, so faithful, and really interesting to listen to. All right, so go on, going on to Genesis chapter forty-three. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, "Go again, buy us a little food." But Judah said to him, "The man solemnly warned us, saying, 'You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you.'" So this is Jacob. You know, enjoying his breakfast, and all of them enjoying all the food that they brought back from Egypt. In the last chapter, because there was a famine and there was no food, so they went to Egypt. They saw Joseph. They got food from him, and on the way back, they thought they paid for it. But hey, you know, all their money still was still in their in their money bags. You know, back when they used money bags, not credit cards. So、uh, Jacob says to his sons, you know, get us more food, a little food, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> But like like going to Sainsbury's, you know, get going get a pint of milk, and but Jesus says no. The guy told us, you know, don't come back here unless you bring your little brother. So if you send our brother with us, Benjamin, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. And for the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. So notice how he says you, 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 you.、Uh, so this you is Joseph speaking to Judah and his brothers. But no.、Um, Uh, this is this second you is talking to his dad. You know, please send us with our brother because this guy, the guy who sold us this food, said he must come with you. Otherwise, don't just don't bother turning up. So it's up to you, dad. You know, do you want food? Do you do you, do you want to not starve? You know, please listen to reason. Help us to get the food by letting us bring our brother with with us. And、uh, Israel or Jacob says. Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied. The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, "Is your father still alive? Do you still have another brother?" What we told him was in answer to these questions. Meaning, he seemed to know so much about us. He was so penetrating. He was like asking about our dad, and if we had any other brothers. We couldn't lie to him. I think he could tell if we were trying to lie to him. And indeed, he could. They didn't know that he was Joseph. 
Curie knew any, everything about them, but he was asking about whether they were still alive, whether they were still okay.、Uh, what we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, "Bring your brother down"? And Judah said to Israel, his father, "Send the boy with me. We will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you, and also our little ones." Meaning, you know, this is life and death. We need food to survive, not just you, but as even our families. So we know what is at stake. We, we, we want to do this. We, we want to come back. <laughs> we don't want to die, and but we also need this food in order to survive in this famine. Verse nine. I, Judah says, I will pledge of his safety. For from my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. You know, it means they spent a long time trying to delay the inevitable. They were so afraid about going back. You know, because they had all this money. You know, they they might think that we stole this money, and they're also afraid because their dad wouldn't let them bring Benjamin, whom Joseph said he they had to bring him with him to show that they were not spies. But also notice that Judah is the one now that's speaking reason, trying to speak on behalf of all his brothers. Yesterday,、um, it was let's see who was who was it? I think it was Reuben. Is it Reuben? Yeah. So Reuben,、uh, Reuben was the one who said, "Kill my two sons." <laughs> He's saying to that, you know, "Kill my two sons if I don't bring back Benjamin." And Reuben is, of course, the oldest. But now it's Judah who seems to be speaking up. On behalf of the brothers, I remember it was Judah who wanted to kill Joseph in the first place, and there, therefore, you see a transformation actually in Judah since the time when he betrayed、uh, Joseph and the time when you know he he did that thing with his daughter-in-law. He was unrighteous, and then he's grown and he's become now this wiser person with a conscience, and the, and and he's representing all the the brothers in speaking reason to his dad. Verse eleven. Then their father Israel said to them, "If it must be so, then do this: take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man. A little balm and a little honey, gum, birth, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight." Take also your brother and arise, go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may He send back your older brother, your other brother Simeon, <laughs> stuck there all the while, and Benjamin. They were willing to let Simeon rot there. That's so bad, you know. You know,、um, for all his concern that Israel had for his youngest son Benjamin. He has another son that's in prison <laughs> in Egypt. That's okay. He, he's he's fine. Yeah, no, but not not my young Benjamin. But now he says, okay, bring Benjamin, but also bring all these kind of sweet things. You know, little balm, little honey. You know, all these kind of treats, kind of like to appease him. You know, they don't have food, but they have these little treats and these little, you know,、um, treasures. The, these 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 like what what's the word I'm looking for?、Um, candies. Um, desserts, the stuff that you know you'd give for Valentine's Day, you know, a special gift, you know, that to mark the occasion. You know, you don't give like a bag of rice. No, <laughs> you give like chocolates or Kit Kats or、uh, something sweet. And so that's what he's、uh, saying that they should bring with them. But also, also the money, the money that was put back. Bring that money plus 
you know, more money to pay for it to show that you know we didn't intend. We fully intended to pay for the money. This we didn't intend to steal this food, and so you know try to make things right and don't get things worse. And then he says, "As for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved," meaning he's willing to lose.、Um, I think it sounds as if he's willing to lose all of them, but he really is thinking of Joseph and Benjamin. He's thinking of his favorites. So not a very nice thing to say, Israel. So anyway, verse fifteen. So the men took this present and they took double. The money with them and Benjamin, they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. You know, fast forward <laughs> to this encounter with Joseph again in Egypt. Verse sixteen: When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, "Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon." This would have been a really lavish meal, considering it was famine. People were starving, and he. It makes this huge, you know, banquet meal with a whole animal, a roast animal, maybe I don't know, lamb or something, for them. The man did as Joseph did, told him, and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And he said, "It is because of the money, which was replaced in our sacks the first time, that we are brought in, so that he may assault us and fall upon us and make us servants and seize our donkeys." So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, "Oh my lord, we came down the first time to buy food, and when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. Oh, oh, oh we didn't. It was supposed to be empty, but now all the money is still here. <laughs> so we have brought it again with us, and we have brought other money with us, brought other money down with us to buy food." Yeah, and we don't know who put our money in our sacks. <laughs> so the money that initially, you know, they found in their sacks that they were supposed to pay, but ended up again with in their bags. And I said we brought other money because we we want to pay. We don't want to steal anything. This is all meant for you. This money. He replied, verse twenty three, peace to you. Do not be afraid. And he says, your God and the God of your father has put treasure. In your sacks for you, I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them, their brother who was in prison all this while. And I said,、oh, "Here you go. Here's your brother." And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when they had given them their given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat the bread there. So present, okay. So present, money, and everything. Like Chinese New Year, yeah. So, oh, Joseph, have something sweet, and we want to pay you back, and we have all this money to pay for the food that we need, so that we don't starve. So they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. So dining table in his house. So why, why would he invite us to his house itself? And you know, we're supposed to eat with him. Is he going to betray us and then say, okay, all of you now go into jail? You know, why, why did you take so long? And you know, why did you steal the money? That's what they expected to happen. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they have with him, and bowed with him to bow to him on、uh, to the ground. And when he inquired about their welfare, and said, "Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive?" They said, "Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive." And they bowed their heads. And prostrated themselves, and he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin. 
his mother's son and said, "Is this your youngest son of whom you spoke to me?" So he's still keeping up appearances. He doesn't say, "Oh, my brother." He says, "Oh, is this him? Is this him? That the one you're talking about?" God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. So, second time when we see Joseph weeping, you know, the first time when he heard his brothers, you know, feel so bad about betraying him all those years ago, he turned aside and wept. And now, when he sees his younger brother after not seeing him for twenty plus years, you know, he weeps again. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, you know. And controlling himself, he said, "Serve the food." And bon appetit, you know. They served him by himself, and then by themselves. So they were separated.、Um, sorry, lost lost my place. And the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not. Eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And so they are all sit- sitting, you know, socially distanced, having their meals. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. So in all, in order of these eleven brothers, all from oldest to youngest, and all seat- seated at the table. And the men looked at one another in amazement. What is going on? <laughs> We are still alive. And there's all this food, yeah. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's tables, meaning the best food that they were serving Joseph himself. You know, they had, you know, from that table, from all the best stuff, they had it on theirs. But Benjamin's portion was five times <laughs> as much as any of the、uh, of theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. Were merry meaning they they got drunk. <laughs> Yum sing, yeah. So they really had a good time. They almost forgot, you know,、uh, all the pressures and the fears they had because it was just so much food, so much alcohol. And Benjamin, especially, five, can you imagine being the youngest and having five times more than all your older brothers? Whoa, you know, <laughs> you must have been in a time of famine, having good food as well. You know, whole animal. You know, lots of protein. And you know the best best chefs in the land cooking for you this meal. It must have been amazing. And so they, they thought, well, you know, let's not waste this. Let's just go, 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 go. Let's eat all this food. Might be our last meal. And that's how it ends. And we'll pick up tomorrow. What happens next? What happens next? Interesting, cool story about how again, you know, God is kind of like bringing this family together for this like reunion meal. That's what they are doing. You know, they, they don't realize this. This is a reunion meal amongst. Enemies, you know, they try to kill him, but they are actually coming together again as God's family, and soon they will be reunited in love, and in forgiveness, and in blessing. Cool. Let's move on to Mark chapter thirteen. And as he came out of the temple, Jesus, one of his disciples, said to him, "Look, teacher,、uh, what、uh, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings." So talking about the temple buildings, you know the architecture. You know, look at the construction of this. And Jesus said to him, "Do you see these great buildings? They do look impressive. There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. It's all going to be destroyed. It's not going to be here、uh, anymore. It's going. It's going to be gone. And you know, think of the most impressive." 
you know, building art uh, monument in King's College Chapel. That 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 you know, Cambridge. That's that's what we think about. You know, that, that impressive building. Can you imagine when you walk down there? It's nothing, nothing there. What happened? You know, Cambridge used to take selfies with the kings. No, it's no longer there. And Jesus is saying, you know, it's it's going to be destroyed. Not one stone. That means completely destroyed. And makes you wonder why. You know, what's going to happen? Verse three. And he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple so temple is here and there's this mountain across called the mount of olives that they were going across and then they were climbing up onto it so they sat down and they looked across as they were looking at this impressive building peter and james and john and andrew asked him privately tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished so they know that this is not just a destruction of a building but this building because it symbolizes God's temple, God's house, God's presence and blessing upon his people. If this is destroyed, my goodness, this is the end of the world. When is it going to happen, Jesus? Can you please give us a date? Tell us, you know, give us a, some advance warning so we know to be prepared. You know, why, why are you talking about this judgment that is to come, Jesus? And Jesus began to say to them, verse 5, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many, many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains, you know, meaning it will look like the end, but it won't be the end. You know, Jesus is just describing, you know, this horrible destruction. It will look like the end. But, you know, the reason why these things happen is because, you know, it will be an opportunity for people, others, to lead you astray, to get you all hyped up and go in the wrong direction because you've kind of lost trust in God during these kind of like calamity, calamitous times. And Jesus is saying, especially when times are tough, especially when it looks like it's the end, that's the time when you should be trusting God all the more and stay the course and be careful that no one leads you astray because many will be led astray. Many. And so, but you guys, you guys, you need to know that these things must happen. There will be cycles of destruction and rumors and, you know, even wars will happen and there will be famines. But these are just the beginning. And the idea is that when the end comes, it will be obvious. Don't just listen to the rumors. Don't get too excitable, but keep trusting in God and looking at God, especially when it looks like everything is going out of control. Verse 9, But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you'll be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Mm, and the gospel must, fir must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you will say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And here it's talking about personal, personal harm. Earlier on, it's talking about wars. and That's out there. But, you know, especially because you're God's people and God's messengers of the gospel, they will hand you over. They will betray you. The same way that they're about to betray Jesus, here in this gospel, they will hand you over. They will beat you. 
you will stand before governors and kings. It will be so intimidating. He will say, "Who are you to speak all these things?" But it is in those situations where it seems that things are out of control, God has put you there specifically to bear witness to them. The gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. You know, this message about Jesus has to go out all over the world, as before. The end comes before all these things happen. It's almost as if that cannot happen unless this happens first. What is this first thing that everyone hears? That Jesus Christ is Lord, and it's going to come out of your mouths, and therefore you're going to be a target of all this persecution. And you know, don't be, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will help you speak. In fact, it's Him that's speaking. It's not you. So, you know, I'm thinking about tonight's talk. <laughs> And and you know sometimes that worry that you have about how what I'm gonna say, what will they think of me? You know, will it go badly? Those are the times when you know it's personally stressful. They need to be personally trusting in God, especially when He has to do with an opportunity to speak the gospel. Those are times when God has a bigger vested interest than you to proclaim Christ to the nations, to call them to repentance and faith and trust in Him. Verse twelve: And brother will deliver brother over to death, father his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. The closest relationships will betray one another. That's so sad, and even betray them to death. And you will be hated by all. Why? For my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Meaning, every other relationship will try to pull you away from the one relationship with God. That is the most important that you keep in these times of trials and temptations. But if you keep this, you will be kept until the end. You will be saved. Verse fourteen. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. So now it's talking to us as well. So Jesus is speaking to them, but Jesus is speaking to them such that when they write this and they record this, Jesus is also speaking to us. Help us to understand that. See that these are signs that have been predicted from and have been pointed to in Scripture. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is at the house top not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is left, who is in the field, not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and will never and never will be, and if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom He chose, He shortened the days. So here Jesus is describing this terrible destruction. That's coming, and Jesus is saying, you know, when that happens, run. <laughs> Don't stay around. Don't linger around. No, run. Pray that it'll, there'll there'll be an opportunity for you to leave this destruction. And he's speaking here probably of a specific destruction of Jerusalem that happens in AD seventy. From about sixty-seven to seventy, the city was being attacked and laid siege upon. It means they were attackers from Rome itself. Rome itself, because they they tried to rebel against Rome and therefore they were attacked. And the, as a result, the whole city was destroyed. And so Jesus speaking. First of all, specifically about that event that the believers should realize, this is not the time to remain. You know, run away. You know, save your lives. And many believers, in reading this, then tends to let the reader understand 
realized, hey, this was the event that Jesus was prophesying about. Therefore, we need to listen to him. We need to run, and therefore their lives were、uh, spared. So on one hand, it's this specific event that therefore this has been fulfilled. But on the other hand, because he uses terms like abomination of desolation, which which we find in Daniel, and also it talks also when another t- time when、uh, it was prophesied that、uh, the city and the temple would be destroyed as well by this other king named Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth, meaning actually these destructions point forward to the next, to the next, to the next, and pointing to the end. That therefore there is a foreshadowing. Uh, what Jesus is saying, when you look at how everything is destroyed here, you see how God will destroy all the world through His judgment when He comes to judge the entire world at the end. And so, when that happens, there will come this figure that will try to deceive you. He will stand where he ought not to be, meaning he tries to take the place of God, try to lead others who follow God away from Him, and or to discourage them or to persecute them. And therefore, for the sake of those whom God has chosen, His people, you know, Christians, God has cut short. You see, you see this term, cut short, cut short. You know, has been shortened, and therefore, God has not allowed it to go beyond what its intended purpose is. You know, to to signal the end of the time. You know, to signal that He will destroy all evil, and also to preserve. The the remnant, the those who trust in him, whom he has chosen, so that they too will not fall during these difficult days. And so the the warning here is about persecution, and to save themselves. Earlier on, it's about personal persecution when you're dragged before governors and kings. You must proclaim the gospel. Here, when this specific incident happens,、uh, they are to run away from Jeru from Jerusalem. During AD 70, when this happens, but finally, it's also about being careful not to be led astray. And this, I think, is the bigger picture about how you meant to stay faithful and to trust in God even more, even more as when these things happen. Verse 21. And then, if anyone says to you, "Look, here is the Christ. Look, there he is," do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise, will perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible. The elect. So be, but be on your guard. I've told you all these things beforehand. So there is destruction, but there is also deception, and we have to look out for both. And oftentimes, it's the second one that makes Christians a target to lead, if possible, the elect, the Christians away from trusting in God. That's what、uh, the devil. That's what persecution tries to do to lead you away from trusting in God. Says, you know, why hold on to God during these difficult times? No, Jesus is saying this is a time when you really, really need to trust God all the more, and the only way you can do that is by being prepared right now. I've told you all these things beforehand. Verse twenty-four. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Hence, you know, after that specific event, there will be this cosmic event of destruction and chaos. You know, everything being decreated. You know, the sun, the moon, all, all being extinguished, turned off like a light. You know, turned off. The f- stars used to be in the sky; they're falling to the ground, and all the powers are shaken in the cosmic realm. And then, verse twenty-six, they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the end of the earth to the ends of the heaven. Meaning, in the end, after all this destruction, when it looks as if this abomination is the one in charge, is causing all these horrible things to happen. No, no, no. God Himself will come and shake the cosmos and show that He is sending His judge. 
the one who has the full authority and power and glory at the end of the day, the Son of Man, Jesus Himself, will come, and then it'll be obvious. He says, "You don't need to, you don't need to wait for someone to say, 'Oh, look, there he is.' It will be obvious when Jesus." returns and he will come in power and glory to judge and to save he will gather from the four winds and all his people his elect meaning he will save them he will preserve them during this last days but only after after this destruction and trial and temptation happens only then will jesus come to judge but first he will save his people from the ends of the earth verse 28 for the from the fig tree learns lesson as soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Meaning, you know, these things are not very far ahead. You know, Jesus is telling of things that have now a certainty to them. And that's because of the cross. The, hap the, the fact that the cross happens means that, you know, there's nothing else to delay this judgment. There's nothing else to, to make us have some guess will it happen will it not but cro the cross is a symbol that god's fullness of his plan has been achieved for salvation and judgment through the lord jesus christ he is the son of man all sin of the elect of those he wanted to save has been poured on him and therefore all that is left is for jesus to come to claim his rightful place to pour our judgment upon the earth and on all the cosmos Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away. Sorry, there we read verse 29. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gate. So he's talking again about these earlier events. You know, when there's this destruction uh, at Jerusalem, you know, it means that Jesus is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will not pass away. Meaning, you know, hold on to Jesus' words. What we are reading here is applicable for today, but until the end of time. It's meant to prepare us so that we won't be discouraged, so that we won't be deceived, but we will continue to trust and to speak God's word all the way to the end. Verse 32, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, nor, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of his house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you all, I, what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake, wake up. You know, don't think this is far off. You know, Jesus will definitely come back and he'll come back at a time you do not expect. And when he does do that, will you be prepared? Will you be ready? Meaning the way to be ready then is to be ready now. You know, what you want to do and what you want to say before Jesus, what the kind of person that you want to be, the kind of things you want to do for him, then do it now. Don't, do not delay. Implement and apply and therefore know God's word right now so that you know how to implement and apply and to serve him the way that he wants you to. Uh, okay, so this is Mark chapter 13, which finishes um, this section on Mark, which talks about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, essentially to judge. It began in chapter 11 when Jesus enters this triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a donkey. So he comes in, hee-haw, hee-haw, on the donkey, this humble king. And everyone goes, yay, save us, Jesus. This is, you're, you're the king. And it's kind of like at a stadium when their football team wins and they go, Jesus, you win. We are winners together with you. But Jesus says, no, in the end, you will see 
the true winner, the true triumphal entry when the Son of Man comes in glory to judge the earth. And therefore, Jesus is talking about that final triumphal entry that brackets these two entries. One into Jerusalem, that he goes straight into the temple to pour out judgment. You see in chapter 11, it was judgment upon the temple. Chapter 12, specifically on the chief priests, on the religious leaders, on the Sadducees, on the Herodians, on all the, the theologians who all were the leaders of Israel who had kind of like turned their backs on God, who had betrayed and ignored his servants again and again. He pours out judgment on them such that they are silent. They have nothing else to say on him. But finally here, chapter 13, he's, he will bring at one point of time in the future when he returns judgment upon the whole earth. So it's judgment, judgment, judgment. Jesus is the judge. What is his purpose here? He's come in power and glory to bring God, all God's purposes, especially to judge his people, his people first, and then the whole world. And that is part of his salvation that we'll see in chapters 14, 15, 16, whereby this judgment is poured on him as the Christ. He takes it upon himself. And that's what makes it possible for him to save those he, whom he intends to save, which he should judge instead. But no, he pours out that judgment that shall be honest from, from chapters 11 to 13 upon himself. He takes it on the cross. He takes God's wrath upon himself, drinking that cup, taking that baptism upon the cross. So yeah, that's Mark chapter 13. Moving on, Job chapter 9. Then Job answered and said, Truly I know that it is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? So he's speaking directly to, uh, what's his face, Some, the shoe height guy. Build that the shoe height? Build that the shoe height, yeah. So Build that yesterday said, you know, if you were to turn back to God, you know, he'll bless you. You know, the reason why you're suffering now, Joe, because you're wrong. You have turned your back on God. But if you turn back, he will bless you again. And so in a sense, in a sense, he says, okay, okay, okay. Imagine if I were to speak to God. You know, I know this is so. Then he says, but how can a man be in the right before God? How, how can he actually come up to God and say, God, actually, you know what? I think there's been a mistake. You know, I think uh, actually I was right, even though everyone thinks that was wrong and maybe you thought I was wrong as well if one wished to contend you know bring their complaint actually have an appointment with God have, contend with him one could not answer him once in a thousand times he is wise in heart and mighty in strength who has hardened himself against him and succeeded he who removes mountains and they know it not when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise. Don't go up sun today. And, okay, all right, I won't do that. <laughs> who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. All these cosmic huge things. God can just say, nope, not today. And they will stay in their place who made the bear and the Orion, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. Behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Behold, he snatches away. Who can turn him back? Who will say to him, what are you doing? God will not turn back his anger 
Beneath him bowed the helpers or Rahab. How then can I answer him, choosing my words with him? You know, Rahab here is not talking about Rahab the prostitute in Joshua. It's talking about this monster, this this mythic beast, and you know, even even this beast and its servants. You know, they are no match with God. You know, God at this. The, the elements, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything, no match with God is like this. Even the, the most powerful beasts are like this. Who are we? We're, <laughs> we're nothing. How do, you, how, how do you expect to get a hearing and to even whisper some words towards God? You can't do that. How, can, how then can I answer him? Verse 14, choosing my words with him. Though I am in the right, I cannot answer him. Whoa, you know, Job, you know, he says, you know, I am in right. He, he is... He has this conviction that he, I, I haven't done anything wrong. I, I, I think I know that, you know, I, I'm in the right. And still, I don't have that opportunity to say that to God. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. Uh, I think accuser here might also be to my judge. To, how, do you, how do you bring this petition to God? If I summoned him and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. For he crushes me with the tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not let me get my breath, but fills me with bitterness. If it is a contest of strength, <laughs> behold, he is mighty. If it is a matter of justice, who can summon him? You know, if you wanted to sue God, you know, how are you going to get him to turn up in, in court? Though I am in the right, he says it again, though I am in the right, though I am in the right, he's so convinced that, you know, he has a cause to bring before God. My own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. He's just no match. You know, and again, he's responding to Bill that who's saying, you know, just, just talk to God, you know, bring it up to him. What are you talking about? We're talking about God, you know. I can't just like send an email to him. I can't do this because I'm no match for him. If he were to answer me, he would just flatten me. I am blameless. Uh, I regard myself, regard not myself. I loathe my life. It is all one. Therefore, I say he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. Meaning, you know, this is it's almost inconsequential to God, you know, whether I'm right or not. Now, I think I'm blameless. He said, I am blameless. But it doesn't matter. You know, he punishes me the way that he would punish the wicked person because I'm nothing. You know, it's so inconsequential. You know, an ant saying to me, I, I'm blameless. I'm, psh, you know, <laughs> good ant, bad ant gets squashed. When disasters bring suddenly, sudden death, he mocks at the calamity of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of its judges. If it is not he, who then is it? My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They go by like skiffs on the reed, like an eagle swooping on the prey. If I say, I will forget my complaint. I will, I will put off my sad face. I'll be a good cheer. And I'll just let it pass. I'll just not focus on, on this tragedy. All, all my family is dead. You know, all my riches have been taken. I, I'm not covered in sores. If I just try to put on a happy face, I, will, I become afraid of all my suffering. For I know you will not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned. Why then do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, with soap, yet you will plunge me into the pit and my own clothes will abhor me. For he, meaning God, is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial 
together. There is no arbiter. No arbiter. No.、Uh, with, oh, that means if only there were an arbiter, some in between person between us who might lay his hand on both, both of us one hand on God, one hand on me. Let him take his rod away from me, and lot, let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him. For I am not so in myself. Job says, You know, I can't do this. But if only there were someone who could stand in between me and God, you know, be friends with both me and God, and make, make both me and God friends again. You know, this arbiter, this person between, this good friend of God and of man. And it, it points forward to how,、uh, yes, it points forward to Jesus. You know, that's his.、Um, Mediatorial, mediator role, you know, the person in the middle, you know, that's his role between us and God. And how, if only Job says we, he had someone like that. We have that, of course, and we don't realize how good it is to be able to pray to God. Even those prayers where you go, you know, I don't understand what's going on. God, this is, please help me. Please don't abandon me. And, you know, the Holy Spirit, Jesus' Spirit in us helps us to pray with words that, with Groans that words cannot express. It goes up to God and God hears it and God's response. But Job says, If only I had that. And it shows what a difference it makes just having the Holy Spirit in us when we pray, you know, and we mourn and we grieve, knowing that God hears us, that, you know, He doesn't, He isn't punishing us, that He loves us more than that. And, you know, Job wishes He had that. Uh, in God, in Jesus, but also in the context of this reply, you know, he's answering,、uh, he's answering his friends, you know, if only you would be like that. I think that's what Job means. You know, you are being lousy friends. You're being good theologians. You know, all your answers are very correct. But if only you could intercede between me and God and not kind of like make a gap, an even bigger gap between yourself and myself. By saying all these cruel words, saying all these nonsensical words about how I'm the one who's in the wrong, I'm the one who's condemned, and not identifying with my suffering, with my tragedy, and with my faith and my continued trust in God that God is God. You know, He's Job for all his grief and all his words that are bitter and are full of angst. You know, he's speaking of God as God. Who am I? He is God. He is. Almighty, I am nobody. Even I wanted to bring this just cause, I couldn't do that. I, I can't of myself. And here is someone who realizes that, you know, unless for God's grace, unless for someone else stepping in between to present his case, he has no case to plead before God. Job chapter 9, very, very intense. And very tiring to read. <laughs> okay, all right. How are we doing for time? Romans chapter 13. Let's cover the last chapter for today. Romans 13. Paul says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So let's work backwards. You know, well, from the middle to the end to the first bit. Only God is in charge. So any. God fearing Jew, Christian would agree, yep,、yeah, you know, God is God. But then he says, the only authorities that exist are those that have been instituted by God. 
and then you go oh wait um what if you know the government that is ruling over you is wicked what if the president or the prime minister or the king or that official or even your boss just the immediate boss does not believe in god and hates god and it says every authority has been instituted by god and therefore let every one of us especially christians be subject to the governing authorities show that respect show that submission recognize that above that authority is god but also recognize that that authority has been instituted by god very profound with lots of applications to us and especially to you and me if we do not agree with our authorities if we feel it's difficult to submit to our authorities if these authorities and these governments actually oppress us directly because we believe in god there is only that which is instituted by god we are to be subject to them verse 2 therefore whoever resists the authorities resists what god has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment for rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad would you have no fear of the one who is in authority then do what is good and you will receive his approval for he and again could be talking here in paul's context he's talking about caesar <laughs> roman government that persecutes christians you know he is god's servant for your good to maintain that peace to maintain that order so that god can then stay can, can maintain that order and authority over all man for our good you know, there's, there's this greater good that God is able to achieve even through ungodly authorities. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And so essentially, it's very, very simple. Don't be a wrongdoer. You know, even if you think it's right, <laughs> and you're doing it in God's name, you know, don't use that as an excuse even God has an excuse to commit fraud, to break laws, and to, you know, just cause trouble where there isn't a call to do that, you know, where, where it's almost unsubmissive it, because it's not so much that you're disrespecting and dissing this, uh, this, this, this authority that you don't respect, but actually you don't respect God. You don't see that God has put in on all of us, on all of us, you know, authorities to show that we are submissive to Him and therefore we are submissive to one another. Verse, six, verse 5, Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. You know, we can tell when this thing that we're doing is just out of spite. It's not that we're fighting a cause, it's just that we don't like this person. You know, that even our conscience bears you know, against us. Verse 6, For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay! to all what is owed to them taxes to whom taxes are owed revenue to whom revenue is owed respect to whom respect is owed honor to whom honor is owed it's almost saying you know this is something that you owe them you know and you know to be fair you know uh the fact that there is even such thing as a government in any country means that there is some sense of order you know there is uh security there is uh some semblance of peace some more than others of course there is an economic structure, you know, can find jobs. You know, all these things are God's means of common grace that God pours out on all people. You know, hence there does exist things like governments, some good, some not so good, but everywhere, kind of, and not chaos. And therefore we owe them. 
in return for this peace and this structure and this order that comes through these authorities. So governments also think of like police, think of armies, think of again um, I don't know just generally count city councilors, law the law, you know systems of law, just obeying rules and just even if your you know your flat that you live in has certain rules in your flat, you know those kind of things. You know to keep the peace, they maintain order, they maintain some semblance of relationship that allows you know you know people to live safely and peaceably. With one another. Verse eight: Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who love and loves another has fulfilled the law. So now, you know, it's talking to Christians with Christians. Our in, our relationships with one another. For the commandments: You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word: You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus nineteen eighteen. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. That's a really big statement because all the law, all these requirements in the law, meaning law here is talking about Old Testament law, Ten Commandments, but also all of all of the commandments, you know, in the law is fulfilled in this one love, this one neighborly love, this one body love. If you remember the question that was asked of Jesus yesterday. Uh, in Mark 12, you know, which is the greatest commandment: love God and love love your neighbor. Is this one love of God that's that's seen in this one love of one another, this one body love, and therefore we fulfill all the expectations of the Old Testament by loving one another. All these do not, do not, do nots by this do by loving one another. Verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake. From sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone; the day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Mm. So there's this casting off, and then there's this putting on. Casting off—it's almost like taking off, casting off what you used to put on in terms of these acts that were in darkness. You used to do in in hiding. You know, didn't want anyone else to know because you know you'll be ashamed of it if they knew. You know, you need to take it off. Don't do that anymore. And in this place, you're meant to put on like a jacket. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning put on His character. You know, live. You know, learn to walk in His footsteps, to reflect His glory and His goodness. Again, not to earn your salvation, but as a fruit of this salvation, because you know that the salvation is near. And this salvation is talking about that final judgment and that final salvation that will happen when Jesus returns. We know that that's happening, and we saw that in Mark chapter 13. Being conscious of that. Sometimes you know when you have those movies where it says the end of end is near, that's when people go even crazier. They get even more sinful. They use that as an excuse. Oh, now it's like my last chance to do all these crazy sinful things. No, the fact that we know it's near means Jesus is near, and therefore we should be all the more conscious to put on this love and compassion and holiness and devotion towards one another and towards God. All the more conscious doing this now because we know that the end is near. Because we know that salvation is near. And make no provision for flesh. It says to gratify its desires. There's this putting off, and there's this putting on. 
putting off of these, you know, fleshly desires, saying no to it consciously, and you know, deliberately, and consciously putting on this love, you know, loving one another, fulfilling the law, finding out ways in which we can serve one another in the body of Christ. Yep. Okay. All right. So that's Romans chapter thirteen. That's good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the reminder that Jesus will return to judge and to save. And as we who trust in Jesus and know this to be true, for us to be conscious to put on Christ and to put off these desires to gratify the flesh, help us, Lord, to say no to sin, and help us, Lord, to always, always put on and to say yes. To the love of Jesus Christ, to the message of Jesus Christ that calls us to be witnesses in holiness and in faithfulness to Him and to Him alone. Help us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take care. God bless. Bye. Bye.